BC forced to stretch a dwindling supply of vaccines. Pfizer has assured us that Canada will uh, receive 4 million doses. Why we're short and who's missing out on a promised shot. The rights of COVID rule breakers. You knock on the door and say, look, we have a warrant, open the door. The powers police really have to break up illegal parties. And a baffling ruling in the Surrey 6 murder case. You think you're taking a step forward, you're taking 10 steps backwards. Families upset by a surprise judgment for two men already found guilty. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The latest vaccine delivery forecast from the federal government is causing a lot of concern and confusion. We'd already been told fewer doses would be arriving in February. The number, though, might actually be even smaller, potentially pushing back BC's vaccination program. Richard Zussman reports. It's a vaccination plan where every drop counts. Pfizer and the federal government in the midst of battling over how much could be extracted from this one vial. The vaccine manufacturer pushing Health Canada to approve getting six shots instead of five. The numbers continue to be calculated on a five doses per vial uh, until uh, and if a Health Canada regulator approves otherwise. And this is where concern is setting in. The province is notified Thursday Canada's only getting 3.5 million doses before the end of March, rather than the contracted 4 million. Ottawa still insisting that's a minimum, but BC is planning to be short. Originally set to receive 557 trays, or around 543,000 doses before the end of March, now the expectation is to receive 485 trays, just under 473,000 doses, and more than 70,000 fewer than expected. If they know what's happened, what's happened to the prioritization, whether it's been bumped back slightly or not, all of those things are important. So we believe there needs to be more transparency. The shortage likely to delay the shot for those over the age of 80, now set mostly for the end of February. And that could push back the shot for those between the ages of 75 and 79, now set to start at the end of March. There is zero benefit to British Columbia complaining about disruptions in European logistics that are preventing us getting our uh, vaccines. The federal government still insisting Pfizer will be able to hit the original target by the end of March, something provinces won't believe until those shots are in people's arms. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a look at today's infection numbers. We have 546 new cases, bringing BC's total to 66,265. Sadly, a dozen more people have died, which means BC has now lost 1,184 to complications of the virus. 291 people are in hospital, 75 of those in the ICU. 59,191 people are considered recovered. And that leaves us with 4,455 active cases and 7,175 in self-isolation. All right, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. Keith, let's talk about uh, some of the current virus hotspots. And there is mm -hmm. growing concern around some of our ski hills. 
Indeed, Chris. You know, for the longest time, we were focused on the Fraser Health Authority, places like Surrey, which is still a problem. Make no mistake about it. But nowhere near the problem it was just a few months ago. Instead, the smaller towns in B.C. now are seeing increasingly higher numbers of daily COVID case numbers. Take a look at these numbers now uh, for the month of January. For the most part, it varies from city to city. Whistler now considered the biggest hotspot in, in B.C. They've got 228 cases. Williams Lake and the parts of the Caribou, 120. Cowichan, which is a very First Nations concern there, 75. Terrace numbers have been spiking upwards. Salmon Arm now has a significant problem, as does Fernie, which we've reported on. And Prince Rupert, now that's a long-term care home there that has the virus, and that can always be problematic, of course. So, again, it's a reminder, this is not just simply a virus that permeates into urban centres. It goes into smaller towns. And on a per capita basis, it's a bigger problem in some of these towns, particularly Whistler, because there's more infections per 100,000 people in these small towns than there are now in places like Vancouver and much of uh, Metro Vancouver and the capital region. So these numbers have been escalating. It's a concern, and we'll obviously have to keep an eye on them in the days ahead. No doubt about it. All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. Some insight tonight on what it takes to crack down on COVID rule breakers. One Vancouver lawyer says police do have tools at their disposal to fully enforce public health orders. And it turns out the outcome of a recent party bust could have been a lot different. Romina Deo reports. An alleged party at a Vancouver penthouse Saturday was operating as a makeshift nightclub in violation of COVID-19 rules, say Vancouver police. When officers went to investigate, they say the owner would not open the door and they did not have the authority to enter the unit. The tools are there. They need to be used. Ravi Hira, a high-profile criminal lawyer, tells us under the Offence Act, police could have made a call and got a telewarrant in minutes if they felt they had reasonable grounds public health orders were being violated. The reason for enforcing the law is to show that the law has teeth. Police say a woman invited to the party called 911, reporting approximately 100 people inside. An alleged doorman, the only one to receive $2,500 in COVID-related fines. Police say it's the fourth complaint this month about social gatherings in the unit. If you leave the public with the impression that steps will not be taken to enforce the law, you create disrespect for the law and you will not be able to control the pandemic. Vancouver police will not answer the question as to whether the officers even requested a warrant. The VPD standing by its position that its officers did not have the authority to enter the penthouse. Mo Movasahi, the owner of the unit, assessed at nearly three million, says the allegations are not true. But he refuses to tell us how many people were in his home. Movasahi has filed a complaint against the VPD. Romina Dea, Global News. Now, we reached out to the Ministry of Public Safety and we got a statement back that said police have the tools, experience and training they need to make operational decisions in the course of their work. The alleged COVID-19 vaccine queue jumpers now have a court date. Rod and Ekaterina Baker were ticketed and charged in the Yukon last week, accused of posing as workers to get the Moderna vaccine. They're due in a White Horse courtroom on May 4th. Officials there say the tickets were stayed, but the same charges were served with a notice to appear. That means if they are convicted, 
They could serve up to six months in jail. They also won't be eligible to get their second dose until the summer. The owner of a Langley catering company says she's finding out firsthand that many people are thumbing their noses at COVID-19 restrictions. She says she's turned down a number of requests to cater large parties, jobs she says other companies are taking. Paul Johnson reports. Check out what's cooking at Well Seasoned in Langley. Today our chef is making coco van that we'll send home for people tomorrow. So this is uh, part of our dessert for our gourmet to go dinner this weekend. Who wouldn't want a plate of that? Like everyone in the culinary business, Angie Qualley's had to pivot. We've got all these groceries that we sell. Closing down her cooking classes and ramping up her gourmet to go take home options. So far, she's doing just fine. But she is struggling to understand the mindset of some of her would-be customers of late. In the last week, we've had several requests from people asking us to cater parties. Yes, you heard that right. In the bleakest weeks of the COVID pandemic, some people apparently have visions of deviled egg trays being brought out at their shindig. One was a baptism for 20 people. One was a Super Bowl party for 28 or 30 people. Brady throws, end zone, he's got Evans for the touchdown. Super Bowl party this year? It's the latest in a long list of disappointing headlines. You might wonder if we actually have the collective wherewithal to get through this. I think people are just tired, you know. Quali's response was a polite no can do, along with a link to the current rules on the government website. Well, she's happy to cater your party the moment the restrictions are lifted. For now, she wants no part of anyone's potential super spreader event. It's hard to turn business down, but if we don't do this, it's never going to end. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. The huge demands of the COVID-19 pandemic are causing some serious psychological stress for BC's nurses, but a new study also finds they could be doing physical damage as well. Linda Aylesworth explains. The job of frontline healthcare workers has always been stressful, but even more so in the midst of a pandemic. We've seen so many reports from nurses in the media saying that they're feeling overwhelmed, burnt out. So University of Victoria grad student Marisa Harrington decided to base her master's thesis on the subject. What we're hoping to do is to provide that physiological evidence that not only are they feeling mentally stressed, but they're also feeling stressed and exhibiting what we would call the stress response within the body as well. In other words, to determine if the stress is having physical consequences on their health. So far, 10 nurses have enrolled, each receiving a kit filled with data collecting devices. In this bag, we have our saliva collection kit. From saliva, she can tell if elevated levels of stress hormones like cortisol are present. We know that that's not a good thing. Again, there's a huge increased risk for disease, um, be that mental health disorders, um, cancers, heart disease, inflammatory disease. Those findings aren't in yet, but others are, like information being collected by wrist monitors that record heart rate variability, the time interval between beats. When we think of heart rate, we think of it to go at a relatively consistent pattern. In reality, it's not that consistent, and it's good if we have variability in between heartbeats. 
When every beat comes at exactly the same interval, it's a sign of stress, and that's what's happening to the nurses, even when their shifts are over. Combined with stress-related sleep abnormalities, they increase the risk of a host of diseases. These are just preliminary trends, but if they hold up, then we're seeing a pretty significant effect on our frontline healthcare workers. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Later, your questions answered in our COVID town hall. And coming up next, the murder case that just won't end. This case will take me to my grave. How two men found guilty for their role in the Surrey Six murders won the right to appeal their convictions. Stop me if you've heard this one. A deer walks into a house. Why, it was no joke for the homeowner coming up on the news hour. Right now, though, the B.C. Supreme Court has ruled the guilty verdict will stand for two of the men convicted in the Surrey Six massacre. And they will not get a new trial. But the court has ruled that Cody Havisher and Matthew Johnston can apply for a stay of proceedings. Aaron MacArthur shows us what that means and why it's painful for family of one of the innocent victims. The bodies were wheeled out of this Surrey high-rise 14 years ago. And two of the men found responsible for what's become known as the Surrey Six murders are still fighting their conviction. Matthew Johnson and co-accused Cody Havisher appealed a 2014 guilty verdict. Two appellants have... Thursday, a panel of three judges found the appeal had no merit. They're still guilty, but the convictions have been quashed in order for their lawyers to argue there was a breach of process. This case will take me to my grave and I will never be able to live a good life. Eileen Mohan, whose son was one of two innocent victims in the gangland murders, wonders if justice will ever be done. Every time when you, ta- you think you're taking a step forward, you're taking 10 steps backwards. Because much of the court record is sealed, the reasons for judgment have not been made public. At this point, even the defense team has yet to see them. The Court of Appeal instead issuing a short one-page statement Thursday saying while a new trial isn't warranted, the trial judge will have to conduct an evidentiary hearing into the allegations of abusive process. Lawyers say this is a rare type of decision. The court still feels that there is an issue on which they don't have enough to work from, either from an evidentiary standpoint or evidentiary standpoint and a ruling of the trial judge. Johnson and Habisher are arguing their rights were violated due to the nature of a closed-door pre-trial hearing where key witness testimony was excluded. No decisions have been made on when the abuse of process allegations might be heard. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The president and CEO of the B.C. Lottery Corporation faced a barrage of questions while testifying at the Cullen Commission into money laundering at B.C. casinos. Jim Lightbody testified that when it came to concerns over high-limits gambling funded by stacks of cash, the government at the time said, play on. John Waugh reports. Money laundering reached its peak inside B.C. casinos. BC Lottery Corporation countered with a bold solution. We asked government if they did not want to take the risk of offering high limit games anymore. Jim Lightbody, the CEO and president of BCLC, telling the Cullen Commission about a September 2015 meeting with senior provincial government officials. We were told that no, uh, we will deal with this uh, from an enforcement side. Which minister were you speaking of? 
uh, sorry, Minister Michael Dion, Minister of Finance. This after police told BCLC some of the suspicious cash coming into casinos was confirmed as the proceeds of crime. And that alarmed me greatly. Up until that point, the men in charge of the management and integrity of BC Gaming chalked it up to a new clientele that wasn't big on banks. These are people who, first of all, have a, also a, a real concern about uh, their um, privacy and they have a real concern about uh, um, quote-unquote government. Lightbody also telling the Cullen Commission the stacks of $20 bills was explained as a common denomination used by cash businesses like restaurants and construction. As for the method of transport... So they may use uh, shopping bags or, or other bags to, so they might not get robbed while walking on the street. The focus instead was placed on asking players for their identities and source of wealth. If they came in with $100,000 and said they were a student or something like that, well then that set off alarms. Wasn't really the obvious question, not how did they make their money, but... Where did the $200,000 and $20 bills in the grocery bag they just put on the counter came from? The Cullen Commission questioning light body on correspondence from the government urging BCLC to increase its scrutiny of suspicious cash transactions. But that did not include an across-the-board source of funds requirement. That would have had to have gone to government, mainly to the minister, to decide, because it would have had financial implications. Lightbody said direction from the Ministry of Finance was to stick to placing conditions on individual players. The minister didn't mean all funds. He meant just uh, keep doing it you know, with a, on, your, on your risk basis. It would take another three years in a change in government to implement source of funds on transactions of $10,000 or more. The allure of high limit cash bets finally outweighed by the risk to BC casinos. John Hua, Global News. Up next, a serious warning to stay out of the backcountry. The treacherous avalanche conditions that could take lives. And coming up in sports, just what the doctor ordered for the struggling Canucks. Clear of a couple issues on the Knight Street Bridge. Northbound recovering. Still a little bit of volume, but getting much better. And that seems to be the end of the evening commute for the, hopefully, Want to access the HOV lane? Beat rush hour traffic in the Chevrolet Bolt EV with up to 417 kilometers of range. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One above the Knight Street Bridge, I'm Tim Main. Conditions are going to be so dangerous, a special public avalanche warning has been issued for the South Coast region, including the North Shore Mountains. Avalanche Canada says this year's snowpack is unusual, and it contains a dangerous weak layer that's now deeply buried. And that means not only can an avalanche be triggered more easily, but the size and depth of any slide could be deadly. Experts are also warning snow in the forecast will bury that weak layer even deeper and make the situa uh, situation even more treacherous. So let's get the latest on that forecast right now from Christy. 
Thanks, Chris. So, yeah, Avalanche Canada classifying it as a considerable risk. And I want to highlight the fact that this isn't just in the Alpine. It's also in the tree line and below. A lot of people think that they're protected in the tree line, and that's not the case in this scenario. Natural avalanches are possible, and human avalanche uh, triggered avalanches are very likely. California getting basically an atmospheric river, 48 hours a foot of rainfall. That's 300 millimeters of rain. And they've had a lot of uh, forest fires there lately, so that's just causing mudslides. And we're just on the north northern edge of it, so we're pretty lucky. Uh, snowfall, five centimeters of snow for the Columbia Kootenai region. Rainfall pushing on to the west coast of Vancouver Island tomorrow morning. That shifts into our region tomorrow evening, but it should be mostly dry throughout our day on Friday. Northern region, sunshine. Terrace, though, snowfall for you, five to ten centimeters. And for the Columbia Kootenai region, the bulk of your snow will be overnight tomorrow, just easing to flurries. And for the south coast, as I mentioned, wet across the northern sections of Vancouver Island. That slides down into our region by the evening hours. But so far, it's not until the weekend, unfortunately, that we'll see the wet weather. And I'll leave you with tonight's weather window, Centra window, windows, weather window, showing the snowfall that has fallen recently just outside of Kamloops. Thank you to Susan for that. Beautiful, but dangerous close to the coast. So remember that. Don't head out. A Kamloops couple was left with quite the mess after an uninvited visitor showed up. Couldn't believe our eyes. We saw a deer. There's a deer in our house. Todd Mason and his wife were settling in on Saturday night when they heard a massive ruckus right at the back of their house. They thought someone was breaking in, but it turns out it was a deer when Todd went to investigate, and it had squeezed through their large dog door. And I was out there trying to hurt a deer, and of course it's all hardwood. Once it got out of the porch, it's all hardwood surfaces and slippery surfaces, and the deer was like Bambi on ice. Uh, freaking out going everywhere. It launched over top of me once and it, it hated the TV on the wall behind me and hit it about three times. And then, but I did get it calmed down. We tried calling the conservation folks, but it's too late. And then so the RCMP were called. A blanket and a lot of patience to get the deer outside. They are now working with their insurance company to recover the losses. Broken TV, windows, oven door, you name it. What a drag. All right, here is uh, Squire now with a look at sports and uh, Canucks on a roll. I was going to say, that's it. I'm never inviting a deer to my house <laughs> for any reason. Good idea. They're house wreckers. Uh, yes, the Canucks are playing tonight against the Ottawa Senators. Final of three between these two. And I think the Canucks will be very sorry to see Ottawa leave town. No matter what the score is tonight, it'll be like, hey, Senators, thanks for coming. Anytime you want to come back, bring it on. Because as soon as Ottawa showed up, the Canucks stock went up like it was GameStop. Off the bench, in comes Peterson, the drop pass, side of the The Senators are just what the doctor ordered for the Canucks. Like their political counterparts, these Senators look old and don't do too much, which is good tonic for the Canucks' top players, who seem to have found their groove after a slow start. JT Miller got his first two goals of the season, Elias Pettersson ripped a vintage power play wrister, and the Canucks' stars are starting to feel like themselves again. I think today was uh, definitely a step in the right direction, uh, but... Me and our line definitely have a lot more to give. To be frank with you, I think we need to be way better as a line still. I think we need to push ourselves. I mean, I guess it's nice to produce a little bit, but at the same time, we're, our standards are higher than a couple open nets. Tonight, the Canucks go for the three-game sweep, but aren't taking anything for granted against the last-place team in the division. You need to come ready to play just because you won two games doesn't mean anything. Uh, we're going to see an hungry, hungry team over there. we got a lot of respect for their group. 
and uh, our main focus is on our team, making sure we're ready to start this game. Monday night. Montreal Canadiens still haven't lost a game in regulation in six. There's Carey Price. It's already 2-0 Habs against Calgary when Jesperi Kotkaniemi, he doesn't score, but Josh Anderson knocks it in to make it 3-0. Tyler Toffoli, who scored five in those games against the Canucks, shorthanded. He doesn't really get control of this very well, but he is able to jam it in on David Riddich. That's, uh, that's some bad net minding. Paddle should be down there. 4-0 in the third period for Montreal. And the Alberta government has said the Western Hockey League teams within that province are allowed to play a 24-game schedule starting February 26. BC's teams still have not been given the green light to play a short schedule. All right. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. And thank you, Christy. And thank everyone for watching. We... Uh Don't want you to go because we'll be back with our COVID-19 virtual town hall and your questions for Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix next.